Okay. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Assalamu alaikum, everyone. <clears throat> Welcome, everybody, to the Safina Society Nothing But Facts live stream. Okay. On a Tuesday, which is a rainy Tuesday. First day back to school for the kids, which they took a half day today. So you'll see some of these kids popping in here and coming in and making noise and being part of the Q&A, which they love to do. They love to read the questions and answers uh, session, uh, the Q- questions that come up in the Q&A session. You know, funny thing is when you talk is that you, your mind may be somewhere else, but your mouth is not still catching up. That's why sometimes I notice my sentences are actually disjointed. My mind's somewhere else, but I'm, my mouth hasn't caught up. Aida... Kalim Dalubis is from France. All right, I butchered her name, but she's from France. Which is always good because I feel that the Muslims of France have it the hardest in the Western Hemisphere. They have it almost as hard as some of the Muslims in the tyrannical Islamic world. Uh, Yusuf Khan is asking if the books are selling to him. I don't know why Safina Press may or may not uh, go to... They should... People buy it from Canada all the time. So we got to see what's going on with that. Now, listen, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to tell you what you're going to do right now. At 7 p.m. on Friday, 7, no, let's say 7.45. 7.45 on Friday, you are logging in to the YouTube, Safi Inside YouTube channel. Okay. And we will be live streaming the grand opening. So this is going to be, inshallah ta'ala, live streamed. Hey, Rai, could you do me a favor for a second? For the sake of the Instagrammers, could you put this like right in the middle so the Instagrammers see it just for like five seconds? Tafsir Holmes is on Instagram, that's why, because he's uh, taking a break from selling homes. So that... Um, we want everyone to see the full picture on Instagram. Because you see how Instagram, they see... they. Instagrammers see it like this. They see half the screen. See that? Now they see the whole screen. No, it's perfect. There. A little bit more in the middle. Okay. So the Instagrammers get to see exactly what this, honestly, gorgeous. It's, it's a very royal blue. That's what that is. A very royal blue. All right. It's not flat blue and it's not navy. It's a very royal blue with white. And it, that's actually a tomatoish red, but because the blue is so deep, it almost looks pink. But it's not pink, of course. It's it's a it's a tomato type of red, um, and then light blue subtext there. So it's a beautiful fo- a, a poster here for the grand opening, which we will be broadcasting on our YouTube channel. Okay, we will be broadcasting this on the YouTube channel Friday. We're going to pray Maghrib at 7.30 Eastern Time, and we could start the stream at that time. But then we, the program will actually start probably 7.45. All right, we could take it off now. Or, uh, so it's going to be a very exciting program, I'm, 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 I'm telling you. Uh, Zahra Mustafa is, is, she's tuning in from school. She's basically sa- sounding out her teacher. 
who was probably giving her, you know, um, the rules on how to respect Kamaluts right now, first day of school. You know, we want to make sure everyone feels inclusive, inclusivity. All right, we want to make sure you know diversity is appreciated. Blah blah blah, and it's all code words for supporting uh, Kamaluts. Anyway, I'm just exaggerating, but let's get to our class for today, our session for today. Babun fi salat al-duha, chapter uh, on salat al-duha. Dangerous Zwan is saying, is it for free? Yes. Your attendance on live, if you drive to New Jersey, is free. And you get dinner too. And your attendance online is also free. Okay. Uh, today I'm going to answer questions after... Uh, after this on how do we know something is meant for me after I read this I'm going to answer some questions on that how do I know something is meant for me or how do I know where Allah wants me to go I'm going to, I'm going to answer that question alright but we continue now with the shama'il of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam bismillahirrahmanirrahim alhamdulillah wa salatu wa salam ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala حدثنا شعبة عن يزيد الرشك قال سمعت معاذة قالت the the word the name معاذ you can feminize it معاذة عمر you can feminize it عمرة and the the Daisies do this the Arabs don't necessarily do this but the Daisies do it. the Arabs actually think it's wrong right it's not wrong it's right there right in the classical uh, uh, you know these, these are the originals. Whatever they did in Arabic is Arabic. Because who sets the rules of what language is, right? No one sets rules. There's no rules to what language is. Unless we pin it to a certain time period. And that's what the Muslims did. So that we understand the Quran properly. The Arabs pinned, the scholars pinned Arabic to the first century Hijri or before. Anything the Arabs did before that and up to the first century Hijri when basically the generation that received the Quran died out. How did they do that? Because Allah says, we have revealed this Qur'an in a clear Arabic tongue. That's the referee of what the words mean. Otherwise, I could redefine any word I want. Okay? So, the Qur'an gives us the referee of what every word means. It's what the Arabs, how the Arabs understood it at that time. So, languages are always evolving. They're always changing. So, and and there's, there are no rules on what to do in a language. The only reason is like social custom. That's it. Like, why can't I say ain't? Why is ain't not a word? So because people said it's not a word. That's it. And they just don't accept it in school or in work or in contracts. That's the only reason. There's no moral reason. There's no absolute reason. So the Quran, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to define for us what our words mean, he says this Arabic that the Sahaba are speaking. And the Arabic before that, okay? Because the Sahaba relied upon the Arabic before that. They spoke in those, they recited those poems, okay, etc. So that's what official classical Arabic, Quranic Arabic. If you want to give tafsir, you have to give an evidence of what that word means by referring to the speech of the Prophet, the Sahaba, and those Arabs before them. Muslim or non, doesn't matter. Right? That's that's what uh, what is essentially the referee or the standard of what a word means. I said to Aisha radiallahu anha, okay, 
أكان النبي صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم يصلي الضحى Did the Prophet peace be upon him pray duha? Okay, so this is a pretty, I think it's a unique hadith in that you don't always have a hadith where two women are speaking. Right, so here you have a sahabiya or, or, or Sayyidah Aisha is answering mu'adhata. Did the Prophet pray duha? Sayyidah Aisha said, Naam, arba'a raka'at, wa yazidu ma sha'allahu azza wa jal. He used to pray his duha as four raka'as, and if he wanted to, then he would uh, pray more and he would always make up any uh, uh, tahajjud if he missed his tahajjud then he would pray it later uh, sometimes he would miss tahajjud due to maybe illness maybe travel or maybe severe exhaustion yeah, imagine they had a battle the, night, the day before okay, or they were scouting or they traveled they came back so the prophet may have been uh, extremely tired and he slept that night he prayed his Duha, his tahajjud, he made it up during duha time. If you want a lifeline of iman, it's really if you get up a little bit before fajr. So, if fajr comes in at 5, and you say set your alarm for 4.30, you get up, stretch a little bit, make wudu, brush your teeth, make wudu, and sit for some ibadah. Let's say a woman's not praying. She sits for dhikr and makes dua. And she speaks to Allah and calls upon Allah. This is called munajat. This is the, the juice, the taste of our religion. It's really munajat. And the more that you obey the laws of God in the daytime, you will find your heart clear in the nighttime. That's the rule. So some people may wake up for tahajjud and be like, okay, nothing, I'm just awake. That's because there's a lot of mud and muck and dirt in the heart. But if you follow Allah's rules in the daytime, these rules are there to, clean, to protect the heart from filth. That's why, these, that's why spirituality begins with law. Many people don't like law, right? You would love the law if it's the right interpretation and the right presentation, right? So it's interpretation and it's presentation because everyone touts law. But some people have an overly zealous law and some people have a, maybe we can say a, a looseness in the law. And some people say, no, there's no such thing as that. This there is. There is. Imam Malik says everything has in it accuracy and in an excess. For everything, Okay, what's a tfif? An excess goes to both ends. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says, We you are Ummah Wasat. So there are extremes. Okay? There are extremes of rigidity in the interpretation of the law. And when Umar ibn Abdul Aziz asked one of the ulama to gather the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, he said, and the fatawa of the Sahaba, he said, leave off the severity of Abdullah ibn Umar because he was always more safe. He wanted to be more on the safe side. And leave off the leniency of Ibn Abbas. So therefore, the, here we have the Salaf recognizing there is someone who tends to go to a, a stricter, stricter where? Against an ego. Harder on the ego. That's what we, when we say strict, and what do we mean? Harder on the ego. So it means if there's two paths, we take the path that's harder on the ego. Ibn Abbas would take the path that was more lenient, easy on the ego. Okay? And Ibn Mas'ud was known for unknown statements, odd statements. Okay? That's what Ibn Mas'ud was known for. 
So he's told it was uh, Sayyidina Omar ibn Abdul Aziz. He had asked, subhanAllah, um, name is skipping my mind, subhanAllah, one of the early muhaddithin. Okay, one of the greats, but first, I don't know why his name is skipping my mind. But he asked him to do that, to, to gather the fatwa of the Sahaba. So we, there is in our concept, in our religion, a concept of excessive strictness and, 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 and in interpretation and excessive leniency. Excessive leniency tends to go to ask the question, what do I actually want? And then looks for the fatwa for it. Okay. Ex- excessive strictness tends to go with, what does my nafs hate? And what is almost going to like, sometimes they like, what's going to bother everybody? And then they look for that. As, and the, you have to have extremes in order to define the middle. What is the middle? Define one extreme, define the opposite extreme, and that's it. Right? That's, and and the, the middle is everything that's not either extreme. That's all it is. So it's, it's the interpretation of the law, and that's why the madhahib are so important, because it allows us to look at what did scholars think from all sorts of different countries and all sorts of different personalities and all sorts of different times, places, civilizations, etc. That's so important for us because the view that they're going to come up with is going to be the view, a fair view. It's not going to be tainted by any one personality's uh, uh, perspective, nor a geographic perspective, nor a time. Someone asked me, what is the right relations between, let's say, my wife person's wife and for example um, I go to my friend's house or whatever like what's the right way to deal with that so I said listen go go look at the righteous scholars of your time that's what's going to be the answer all right what does the righteous scholars of your time do how do they behave so I said look if I go I can take you to certain countries where there's a, a full barrier between the two you will never you may know a guy for 40 years you don't even know he's married to and I could take you to a country where the scholar will walk in he will look at you say salam he will look at your wife say salam alaikum right and, and, and say for example oh this food was excellent thank you so much for hosting us but like directly so you have a that's how it is pretty much in Egypt right are we going to and Morocco are we going to say they're not scholars Mauritania very much similar to that so uh, there's such a variety in many masa'il and many questions of Islamic law. So, interpretation. But then there's presentation. How are we presenting the law? I only see the, the law of Allah, I see it as one way. It is protecting your heart so that gnosis and madifa and light can sh- settle into it. It's protecting your heart because the haram may cause you to fall into so many emotional problems. Right? Gambling. Does not gambling put people in such desperate uh, straits? So Allah forbade it all. Yes, maybe five out of ten, five out of a hundred people win. Maybe 80 people come out neutral or slight loss, slight gain, not worth anything. But then you're going to have 20 people with severe loss that puts them in such a desperate uh, state, emotional state. Sharia is protecting you. The haram is stopping you from falling into that. Most people, if you took out all the stop signs, we'd all figure it out, right? I would say 85%. If you took out all the stop signs in my development, for example, people will figure it out, right? They'll just 
look, make sure no one gets hit. But I would say five out of ten out of a hundred people are not. They're just going to go straight through because there's no sign. You make law for that one percent, five percent, because the result is so bad. The result of gambling, alcohol, zina, is so bad that you make law on one percent, right? So there are some cases where ninety-nine percent of the time people don't need it. That's in your mind, okay? But Allah has made law for even that one percent who are go go crazy, all right? All right, so that's how we should view the Sharia as really being a protector of the heart, a protector of the family, a protector of things, a protect uh, uh, everything related to our uh, uh, life in this world and the next, so that we can now have an arena to enjoy the fadl of Allah Ta'ala. Because what is our motivation to follow the law? Fear. Fear, the, it's not just, it's, it's fear of the harms connected to these things. And if you don't see the harm connected in gambling, then Allah says, okay, you don't see that? Fine. Well, um, there's a fire in the next life. How's that? We can all see that. We all, so you're either going to fear one of the two things or both. Or even greater than that, fear that this, you disappointed your Lord. You angered your Lord. You lost the pleasure of your Lord. So you're going to have layers of khashya. And really all of them. Because Allah Ta'ala, for everything haram, He's placed in it a pain in this life, a pain in the next life, and the greatest of all pain is that He's not pleased with us. So you're going to have fear. But after fear, when you do good, there are always benefits in this life, the next life, also the greatest of all benefits is that your Lord is pleased with you. So when I do something good, how do I get myself up in the morning to do it? If I'm feeling lazy, my body's feeling lazy, I'm not obeying my body. Do not obey your body. Do not obey your nafs. My nafs is feeling lazy about this. That's the difference between the successful and the failures. Failures, they, they obey their emotions and their nafs and their body. The body says, oh, I don't feel like doing this. So Allah gave you a mind, a brain, okay, for, to do tarheeb and tarheeb. My brain will say, okay, wait a second, this is, what are the benefits connected to this? And as soon as my mind goes to a benefit... It almost as if something is released, like a chemical is released. All of a sudden, I'm like alert, I'm awake, I'm ready to go. And that's what an, in, an intelligent person does with this great information that we are told in the Quran. If you do this, there are all these benefits. So I'm going to jump to do it. I'm going to feel happy about doing it. You can't really do something well if you don't move, juiced up to do it. Right? And Allah wants us to do something while, as Habib Omar says, He wants us to worship Him while happy. He wants nawaf and extra ibadah while happy. Leaving off haram, it doesn't matter whether you're happy or not. You leave it off. That's it. Distract yourself from it. But doing good deeds, you can't do good deeds while you're not happy. Right? It, what's the value of it? Making you a cake and I'm like miserable and I'm frowning. I'm giving you the doubts and I'm miserable and frowning. So then come sit up, Jen. No. Do it while happy. How do you be happy? Think. Okay? You have to think. At-targheeb with tarheeb At-targheeb Tempting yourself with desire, with wonderful things that Allah has promised you. And a tarheeb okay, is making yourself scared of certain things that would happen if you don't do this, right? Because very bad things could happen. That's the, the word that you have to understand. A tarheeb with tarheeb. These are the scholarly words of motivation. Fear and desire. Okay. People say, oh, I don't want to do it for the love of Allah alone. Stop it. Just stop it. Don't 
make yourself as if you're some angel. You fear fire and you fear pain. Don't pretend you don't. And you want pleasure and you love good things for yourself. And don't pretend that you don't. But if the love of Allah supersedes that, then that's what we're talking about. But don't deny that these two things are there and it's haram for us to deny that. And someone says, oh, I'm not worried about Jahannam. I just want the love of Allah. You're a fasiq. You're a liar too. Allah has told you fear it. So don't play tough guy with the punishment that Allah created. Right? But it's not the only motivation, nor does it have to be the major motivation. But it has to be there. Okay? It has to be there. Next hadith. عن أنس بن مالك أن النبي صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم كان يصلي الضحى ست ركعات. He used to pray duha six rakas. Okay, Prophet Sallallahu used to pray duha as six rakas. So again, in this and many other things, okay, that the numbers are changing. The night prayers, duha, these nawafil. The Prophet prayed different numbers at all times. Ibn Walid says, didn't Rabi al-Adawiyah say that though? She said, here is a, a bucket for your fire, I'm going to put it out. And here is a flame, a torch for your Jannah, I'm going to burn it for you. She was saying this, not as that we shouldn't fear the fire or desire paradise, but she was saying that if it's exclusive, then you need to bump up to a level in which you love your Lord as well. If, But by the way, if it is exclusively, it is still accepted, but it's not. It's it's not, it's incomplete. So if I say, "Listen, I am only going to do," and, I, and how much? How many times do we know people like this? I am only doing that which you can prove to me by Quran and Hadith that I'm going to be punished for the afterlife for it. If you can't prove it, I'm doing it. And if I and you, if you can't prove that it's a fart, I'm not doing it. Not only that, we had a man come to the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said that. And I can't blame such a person. When you begin and there's a new religion in order and you say, okay, well, I can't deny it's true. But I'm not into it. I'm not into these things. Give me the bare bone basics. Okay? And that's all I'm doing. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa accepted that. He said, aflaha in sadaq. All right? He's successful if he's truthful. If he's truthful to that. Literally avoid all haram and fulfill all your obligations. That's it. Nothing more. But there's another meaning in this hadith that is so important. Aflaha means to bury a seed. That means if, he, if that's all he does, he's actually burying a seed. And what does a seed have to do? Germinate. Aflaha means succeed, but it also means to bury a seed. So the Prophet made it mean both ways. He said, yeah, that's good enough for you. But it also means, if he actually is truthful about that, every time he does an obligatory act and he avoids a prohibited act, his love for Allah will grow. And, he, and that man, later on, was known that he would do everything that was a sunnah and avoid everything discouraged. So the Prophet was right. In the beginning, he began only fulfilling obligations and avoiding prohibitions. That's it. There was no concept of love of Allah in his discourse. But the Prophet said, Aflaha, he has... He has planted a seed. And when he planted that seed, okay, then the love of Allah grew inside him. So Rabi al-Adawiyah, our interpretation of that, was that what she meant was to make you more complete, not to invalidate your beliefs.
because that that action acting only for fear is accepted okay it's acceptable so who's saying this? An Abdul Rahman ibn Abi Layla. He said, nobody told me about the Prophet's duha except Ummahani. Right? Who is Ummahani? Right. Ummahani is um, Fakhita. Fakhita, the daughter of Abu Talib. Abu Talib, so that's the sister of Sayyidina Ali. Ummahani is the sister of Sayyidina Ali. And the Prophet grew up with her. She, they were the same age pretty much. So she saw a lot of the Prophet's ibadah. And she said, أَنَّ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَآلِهِ وَسَلَّمَ دَخَلَ بَيْتَهَا يَوْمَ فَتْحِ مَكَّةِ He entered her house on the day of the conquest of Mecca because she never made hijrah. She stayed in Mecca. She was one of the early believers. And she stayed in Mecca. He, she was the first person to learn, she has this distinct honor, of the Isra and Mi'raj. When the Prophet returned from the Isra and Mi'raj, she was one of the first person that she, the Prophet saw. Okay? Because it, it is said that that time, that, that at that night, Sayyidah Khadija had passed away, and the family was spending a lot of time at Fakhita's house. So the Prophet had slept that night in one of her courtyards. And then Sayyidah Jibreel awoke him and took him to the masjid, the Kaaba. So when he returned, he returned there. So he, she saw him and he informed her. And she said, please don't tell anybody. The Prophet said, no, I'm telling everybody. What, so what did he do? He told them about the Isra, not the Mi'raj. He, ne- he never spoke of the Mi'raj in Mecca. He only spoke of the Isra. I mean, they couldn't even believe the Isra. The Isra is to Jerusalem, Mi'raj is to heaven. He, just so you know these terminology. Isra means to Jerusalem. Mi'raj means to heaven. It, the word Isra means traveling by night. And the word Mi'raj means traveling upwards. So he never told the people about the Mi'raj in Mecca. He told them in Medina. So they didn't even believe in the Isra, let alone the Mi'raj. So Ummahani says, the Prophet entered my house and prayed. So he made ghusl. فَاغْتَسَلَ فَسَبَّحَ ثَمَانِيَ رَكَعَاتِ سَبَّحَ here means prayed nawafil. And he prayed eight rakas. So Sayyidah Aisha narrated four. Anas ibn Malik narrated six. Ummahani narrates eight. وَمَا رَأَيْتُهُ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ صَلَّى صَلَاةً مِنْهَا And I never saw him pray anything less than, like so, they, these rakas were so light. They were very light rakas in the morning. So again, the length of the duha can change. I saw Habib Omar in Dar Mustafa Pray Salat al-Duha, reading from the Mus'haf. And he used to do these things to show people this permitted. غَيْرَ أَنَّهُ كَانَ يُتِمُّ الرُّكُوعَ وَالسُّجُودِ But the ruku'ah and the sujood were not light. The recitation was light, but the ruku'ah was sound, and the sujood was sound. وَعَنْ عَبْدِ اللَّهِ إِبْنِ شَقِيقِ عَبْدِ اللَّهِ إِبْنِ شَقِيقِ said, I asked Aisha, رضي الله عنها أكان النبي صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم يصلي الضحى Did the Prophet pray duha? قالت لا إلا أن يجيء من مغيبه No, unless he was away and busy with matters 
then he came back and it was still before the Lord, then he would pray a couple of rakas. The Prophet ﷺ prayed nawafir almost like the way that we, like whenever there was a long period of busyness in the dunya or matters of life, then he would pray some nawafir. Uh, how did Abdullah ibn Shaqiq and Sayyidah Aisha speak? Sayyidah Aisha used to have a curtain between her room was attached to the masjid. So that was the wall of one wall of her house, her apartment, was the wall of the masjid. Okay. So her house was literally an extension of the masjid. And there was a door for her to enter from outside. And there was also a door to the masjid. So she put a curtain between her and the door of the masjid. And she would sit in her own home and the brothers would sit at, in the masjid and they would be able to speak. That's how Sayyidah Isha taught. And the Sahabi, of course, or the, tab, um, the Tabi'i, who had the, the, you know, the benefit of being able to go on the other side of the curtain, was who? Was Abdullah ibn Zubair okay, and his brother. Urwa okay. um, ibn Zubair. Urwa ibn Zubair was the younger brother, Abdullah ibn Zubair. His parents are Zubair and Asma, Asma being Aisha's sister. So Urwa ibn Zubair said Aisha's his aunt, Khala, maternal aunt. So he used to go in the other side. And the other sahab, the tabi'een would say, how exactly are we going to compete in knowledge with Urwa ibn Zubair when he's allowed to spend all that time alone with Sayyidah Aisha asking her everything and absorbing everything? From her. When Sayyidah Aisha became a little older, Abdullah ibn Zubair became like her uh, caretaker almost. And Abdullah ibn Zubair Sayyidah, uh, uh, was her first nephew, oldest nephew. And she saw that uh, every mother of the believer has a kunya. So this is Umm so and so. That's Umm Salama. That's so and so. So she said, Oh, Master of Allah, but I don't have a kunya. Okay. He said, you have a nephew, Abdullah. So that's your kunya, Umm Abdullah. Why? Because in our uh, uh, interactions, what we teach about interactions is that the, the motherly role is spread amongst many women. There's one walida, which is a biological mother. Walida is the biological mother. But the motherly role is divided into many women. Every grandmother that you have is a mother. Every, of course, your biological mother is your mother. Your older sisters are a mother. And so far they take care of you, right? Your aunts, all your aunts are your mother. And every woman who took care of you, a stepmother. So your, your, your dad married another woman. That's a mother, right? She, has the, 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 she deserves the love and respect of the mother. Of course, nobody is like the biological mother. But she's like one amongst many, Okay. Every old woman of the ummah has a degree of that too. And that's why in the old days, any older woman, the Muslim would say to her, Ya Ummi. Right? Every, any older woman would say, Ya Ummi. Okay. So, uh, so she's Umm Abdullah because she, te- she is in fact like a mother to her nephew, Abdullah ibn Zubair. That's if you're wondering, how did Aisha become Umm Abdullah? That's how. Umm Abdullah could also be for somebody who has no kunya because you are 
the mother, you are, you have one of these relations to somebody who is the slave of Allah, right? So you could use that kunya for anybody who, um, who becomes older, and she's a motherly figure to somebody, right? She's an elder to somebody, and that person is a slave of Allah. So that's another way to become Umm Abdullah. And on Atiyah on Abi Sa'id al-Khudri radiallahu ta'ala, now we have a fourth Sahabi narrating. We said Umm Mahani, Aisha, Anas ibn Malik, and the first one was, uh, yes, Aisha. And now we have a fourth Sahabi speaking about Duha. Abu Sa'id al-Khudri. Abu Sa'id al-Khudri, one of the greatest of the Sahaba. كان النبي صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم يصلي الله حتى نقول لا يدعوها ويدعوها حتى نقول لا يصليها He used to pray duha so much until we would say he's never going to stop praying duha. He never leaves it off. And then he would leave it off so much that we say he doesn't pray duha. So you see the nawafil, they come like almost like uh, what's, the, what's the instrument that you do this with? What is that? The French play it, right? <laughs> we don't know anything about instruments here, alhamdulillah. <laughs> uh, what is it called, Habib? <laughs> Not the bagpipe, no. <laughs> That's Scotland. Uh, there's this, the, the French use this instrument, it goes like this. It's the accordion. Thank you for Vohad here, all these guys. Uh, the accordion. So sometimes he expands and sometimes contracts. Sometimes he does it, doha, a lot, and sometimes he doesn't do it at all. So there is, that, that's showing us the flexibility of Nawafil and the rank of Nawafil. No, Psyche was way off. He said the harp. AD 33 says the flute. MashaAllah, all these good Muslim brothers have no clue, right? <laughs> you know, my, my dad failed his driver's test. He, when he, uh, uh, he was away for a while, he had to come back, renew his license, had to take the test over. He failed on all the alcohol questions. He had no clue. He had to study that, right? So he took it without studying. He said, I don't know how to have been driving for 50 years, right? He took the test and he failed it because he had no idea of the alcohol questions. How much uh, uh, makes you drunk enough uh, that you'd be considered uh, drinking uh, or driving under the influence. Next hadith is from Abu Ayyub al-Ansari. Now we have a fifth Sahabi. Can I plug this in? narrating about al-duhas and the nabiya sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam kana yudminu arba rak'at inda zawal al-shams when the sun would pass he would pray four rak'at now we're not talking about duha anymore we're talking about dhuhr sunan before dhuhr okay sunan before dhuhr faqala inna abwab as-sama'i tuftahu inda is it plugged in the other side أبواب السماء تفتح عند زوال الشمس فلا ترتج حتى يصلى الظهر فأحب أن يصعد لي في تلك الساعة خير The doors of the heavens are open at the time of Zuhr when, uh, at the time of when the sun reaches the top and passes uh, passes its zenith and the doors of heaven are open so I love that my deeds some goodness goes up to the heavens at that time. Is there recitation in all of this? He says, yes, it's recitation. Fatiha plus a surah. He said, did the Prophet 
Salam out between both? He said, no. This must be the evidence of the Ahnaf. Okay? One of the evidences. Let's see what the commentary is here. See if there's a, a plug somewhere there. Let's see the commentary of the Hanafi scholars here. Firstly, he's, he's perplexed at why is Imam At-Tirmidhi mentioning an example that relates to after Zawal. What is Zawal? Zawal, remember, Zawal, Zenith. Zawal is when the sun is passing its Zenith. That's the meaning of the word Zawal. Right? So why is he mentioning that hadith in Duha? And the scholars say maybe it's just a bridge. Like a bridge. Right? But these are the Sunan before Dhuhr. And he says some people call this Salatu Zawal. So you learn something new here. But it's also the four rakaz, right, before dhuhr. Four rakaz before dhuhr. All right. And this is one of the evidences that there does not have to be a separation between every two rakaz with a taslim. All the other imams do hold that. The Prophet ﷺ made taslim. Okay. And what is the interpretation of this one? Allahu alam. Well, of course, we would know that the the madhabs who don't apply that they hold that this hadith is not strong enough evidence. The stronger evidence is the action upon it. What? How did the people pray? More so than this. Okay. Others may interpret it as the following. Listen very closely. Taslimun fasil, a taslim. That separates, meaning a taslim plus a gap of time. Okay, no, as opposed to taslim and then praying right away. That's another way to interpret it. So it says taslimun falsin, a taslim that clearly delineates like a gap of time between the two, and Allah knows best. I don't think that's a very strong interpretation, but it is one way to work around it. Okay, but nonetheless, that is one of the evidences for the Hanafis. They should be happy today. To, to learn their evidence because oftentimes they're criticized for that and we don't criticize any of the four madhabs that have an opinion uh, that the scholars have, have examined for centuries. It's naive, it's arrogant uh, to imagine that and to belittle an opinion that has come down to us for centuries. There's no bias here. The Hanafis are in Anatolia. They're in India. They're in uh, Iraq. That's three absolutely distinct cultures. They are in the second Hijri century, third Hijri century, fourth Hijri century, okay? All the way down to now. So you don't think that the bias and this and the and the would have gone away? Right? There's no bias here. And anyway, this is Ibadat. <laughs> nothing benefits of the world in this. Like there's no cultural, political, economic benefit that you get from praying four rakahs or two in a row. Fossil or no fossil. So that's why we have to have full respect for any opinion that comes that is the dominant that is a dominant opinion in any of the four methods. Okay. Next from Abu Ayyub al Ansari radiallahu anhu and in Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sallam very similar hadith. Oh it doesn't go in. 
Next one. An Abdullah ibn Sa'ib. أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم كان يصلي أربعا بعد أن تزول الشمس صلاة الزوال they call this قبل الظهر وقال إنها ساعة تفتح فيها أبواب السماء فأحب أن يصعد لي فيها عمل صالح This is an hour as soon as Zawal comes in that righteous the doors of heavens are open and I would love to, to have good deeds rise up. We should make dua at that hour. Okay, Dhuhr these days is, Dhuhr is one of the prayers people don't always know, don't pay attention to when it comes in. So these days it's coming in at one o'clock. So around one o'clock, which is before the stream, then we should remember as soon as the Adhan of Dhuhr goes off, set your, set your phones and your alarms. As soon as the Adhan of Dhuhr goes off, use it as a, as a time of dua. Because the doors of the heavens are open. Someone who is vociferous, that they want their dua answered, right? use that time. Take advantage of every moment that Allah gave us. Because one of these days, if you fire enough arrows, you're going to hit a bird. If you fire enough arrows up in the sky, what's going to happen one day? You're actually going to hit a bird. If you throw enough nets in the sea, you're going to catch a fish. That's how we operate. Next hadith, أنهu, this is عن سيدنا علي بن أبي طالب. كان يصلي قبل الظهر أربعا وذكر أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم كان يصليها عند الزوال ويمد فيها. سيدنا علي used to pray four rakas before the but he mentioned there that the Prophet وسلم used to pray them right away when the zawal happens. Zawal, again, is when the sun passes the zenith. The moment the sun is at the top of the horizon and it moves slightly. That's what we call zawal. So when the prophet, when the zawal occurs, then the prophet would pray for right away. And that's a very good practice for us to do. The more we are in salah, the more we are in the protection of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The zawal itself being a haram time. Yeah. The zawal itself in some of the, the madhahib is a time, I believe the Hanafites have this, right? Of course, they always get upset if I speak about the Hanafites. But the zawal is one of the times that is forbidden to make salah, right? Let's read some of the commentary. It just basically, there's no much commentary except what we already said. That it's Salatul Zawal and um, it's a great reward and dua is answered at that time because the doors of the heavens are open. Uh, there have been narrations that the duha of the Prophet ﷺ reached to 12 rakahs. It has been stated that 19 Sahaba talked about Salatul Duha. That's how much Salatul Duha is mentioned in the Nusus. It is said that 19 Sahaba. Okay. Some, yes? I read in Khulasa that this is when Istikhara should be prayed, or this is the time. MashaAllah. That Istikhara should be mixed with Doha. Do you know why specifically? No. No, I don't know why. But if if it's the Zawal, then that makes sense. Some have uh, spread that only Ummahani mentioned Salat al-Duha. That is totally untrue. 
19 Sahaba mentioned it. Okay. So it is considered mutawatir. 19. That means the Prophet did it a lot. Tawatur. Okay. Some say that what Ummahani was talking about was specifically out of gratitude for the conquest of Mecca. That's a speculation. There's no way for us to know that. For sure. Okay. And so for they base Salat al-Shukr based upon that. The idea of Salat al-Shukr, praying two rakahs when something good happens. Muzahabit, whenever the Prophet returned home in the early morning, right, from a journey, he would pray Turakas. Whenever the Prophet would come from a journey, he would go to the masjid first, pray Turakas there, then come home. Of course, his house was right next to the masjid. That's one of the blessings. I think that Muslims should really, uh, I cannot imagine how you'd live far from a masjid. Like, I personally cannot imagine it. You need Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Where is the rahmah? Where is the mahalli nadarillah? It's his houses. So the masjid and the Prophet said you should be like a, mes- uh, a fish in water in the masjid and a fish outside of water when you leave the masjid and he said let the masjid be your home and your home be a place of changing sleeping and eating that's it and you have in our mas- masjid here are different from the masjid of the Arab, uh, Arab and Islamic world the masjid here are the only places that Islam is practiced so everything happens there it's actually very much similar to the masjid of the time of the Prophet in the time of the Prophet ﷺ, the masjid was a place for planning wars, for planning, for having shura, for holding court. The masjid was a place for everything. Okay, It was a place for everything. Later on, things got dissected. And you had courts, schools, right, uh, armories for weapons. In the time of the Prophet, it was everything. For us here in the West, the masjid becomes your social place. They have gyms to play sports there. Okay? Everything happens in the masjid. So how do you live far away from it? I think in England, uh, in London, what I remember is that space is at a premium. So they don't really have community center mosques in London. Outside London they do, where you have like suburbs. But inside London, it was just like little zawiyas almost. Little tiny, all you could do is pray and leave, right? But outside of London... Uh, they had they have much bigger properties out in the out in the uh, those cities up north. So one of the reasons that the Prophet Sallallahu would leave it off was so that it would become for a long period of time, so that it was clear for everybody, right? Clear for everybody that he's not doing it, so they know it's not fard. That's how the Prophet separated between fard and sunnah is by not doing it for a long period of time, everyone sees him not doing it, they know it's a sunnah, not a fart. Okay. All right. In Ihya ulum al-Din, Imam al-Ghazali said, in Salat al-Duha, on the four rakas of Salat al-Duha, it is recommended to recite so much Qur'an that it is, you recite Surah al-Baqarah. Imagine reciting Surah Al-Baqarah in your duha. Didn't you pray duha in class? Didn't you have a school teacher that said every day you pray duha? Imagine if you recited Al-Baqarah. 
Duha, how, how would the teacher get, you know, get upset? Right? She told you to pray duha, so you opened with alif lam mim. All right, let's stop there. The next chapter, next Tuesday, we will do the tatawa, the sunan, and the nawafil that a Muslim should do in his house that is recommended for someone to do at home because our homes have to be places of salah as well. All right, let's get the uh, uh, the YouTube. Let's see, John. Hand over that YouTube. Unplug. We should have enough juice. If not, we'll charge it up. All right, let's see what we got here. What is the right way to do tawassul and istighatha bil awliya? The best and the safest and the clearest way, nobody will misunderstand it. So, so, oh, Allah, for my love of so and so, grant me such and such. Oh, this is an act of ibadah for us. It's an act of deen for us to love the salah. Did not Allah says, did not the Prophet command us to be close? Does not the Quran says, don't turn your eyes away from them? Right? Don't turn your eyes away from them. Never uh, stay, stay with them. Okay, so we want we have to be with the salihin and the awliya. It's an act of worship. Be with them with our bodies or with our hearts. So that's one of the best ways. Also, simply any association with one of the salihin is a type of something that pleases Allah. Any reading their books, studying their biographies, making du'a for them, loving them. All right, let's take your questions. Bring them up. Is becoming an MMA boxer haram? Hitting the face is forbidden. Bruising people in sport is forbidden. Breaking skin and bones and bruising is forbidden. So that's why the Prophet said promoted wrestling. Exposing yourself to that is forbidden. All right, what about all these Muslim MMA fighters? Half of them are from Dagestan and they're the best, right? Isn't Habib like one of the all-time best? He didn't just beat Connor in that fight. He's one of the all-time best. I think he retired undefeated, right? That doesn't make it a ruling, as much as I love Khabib. He said it himself. He said it himself. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know that. But uh, as much as I love Habib, to be honest, he is, uh, the, that's the ruling. We don't make rulings based on you know, popular opinion or anything. Rulings are rulings. People... Th- say this all the time, oh, but how could you say this because so-and-so in the community? I'm not, I'm not, a lot of my friends commit sins. What can I tell you, right? A lot of my friends are committing sins. I'm not going to cut them off unless they openly, publicly, and proudly do it. Then I cut them off, right? But we have a concept of mubtala. He's tested with a sin, right? So-and-so smokes. So-and-so uh, doesn't wear this or that. What do you want me to do about that? I'm not, uh, number one, I don't, I, if someone comes with, to the masjid with goodwill, I accept them. That's growth. Happens like that, right? That doesn't mean I'm not going to, uh, cur- I'm not going to, uh, I'm not railing against them, and I'm not curtailing the ruling. That's the ruling. So that to me is what is the right way in both cases, because are we going to be so naive to imagine that the masjid are for perfect people? No, the masjid are for people making tawbah. Masajid are for people repenting. Masajid are for people trying to fix themselves. So we want to link them and hook them into the masjid as much as possible. As a student, as an attendee, as a volunteer, attending the social events, preparing the social events, whatever it is, 
The more your body enters the masjid, eventually the guidance will settle in. Al-Fatiha is recited after dua because there is, in the hadith of the Messenger wasallam, a statement saying that the Fatiha, when it's recited, half of it is for Allah and half of it is for my abd. The first few verses are for the abd, are for Allah. In other words, that we are praising Allah in them. The next few verses, we are stating our commitment and we're praying and Allah says, whatever you ask for will be granted to you. So that's why Fatiha is good to be recited after du'a. Okay. Prophet says in the, uh, that Allah says, okay, and to my slave, whatever he wishes, whatever he asks for. Okay, that's about Fatiha after du'a. Maham says, can you suggest some ways to ensure we get into the habit of regular dhikr and sending salawat? The best way to do it is to take a wird from somebody else so that you're not pacing yourself and then you commit to that wird. If the wird is too much, Habib Omar used to say, that, or we used to be told, you can go ask for takhfif, that make it easier. Make it so easy that it doesn't disrupt your day. And then you never miss it for months and years on end. Regarding yesterday, SP says, about what you said about nose job, etc., is it the same ruling for hair transplant and adult teeth straightening procedures? And the answer is yes. Okay, the answer to that is yes, in that, uh, according to the, for the fatwa, because you are merely returning what was lost. Do not add or decrease. You are allowed to merely return what was lost. How many times should we recite Salat Tabiyah when we are sick? 300. That's what they say. That was a question from Sophia. Clay Tiger questioned by Muhammad or Muhammad Sain Gurkani, a Sunni, Al Maldivi. Uh, if he could be Maliki, he'd be nice. Muhammad Al Maldivi Al Maliki, like could be three M's in a row. Uh, I didn't see the, the the Clay Tiger question, so if you please put it put it here. I didn't see the Clay Tiger question. What is the clay tiger question exactly? Do you see it, uh, Ryan? All right, if you see it, or Muhammad, uh, Muhammad al-Sunni al-Maldivi, please uh, put it up. Geed, thoughts on halal nail polish? You have to check if it is actually water permeable. That's the number one question, so that your wudu can be valid. Number two, there's a question of azina outside the house. Adornment and beautification is meant in sharia for inside the house not outside the house for a woman. People don't like that. That's fine. You can find another uh, faith. You don't have to love everything. Okay? Um, I'm not saying Reed has that attitude, of course. I'm just saying because I know people have a trigger whenever a ruling about women is there. I don't know what to tell you, but that's the rule. Dua, please, for my father, says Lily, who is suffering from intractable hiccups. Okay, I'm failing in hope in du'a. So please, so here's the thing. Uh, it takes a long time for certain things to happen. And that's something you always have to remember. And I remember, subhanAllah, just to st- imagine this statement. Is it a big deal to get a college diploma, a high school diploma? Is it really a big deal? How many people here have a high school diploma? Probably 100%, right? Who, after the age of 20, 
does not have a high school diploma. I mean, everyone's got a high school diploma. It's not a big deal. It takes four years, right? So anytime you want to make a du'a, ask yourself, what's bigger, this or a high school diploma, right? It takes four years to get a high school diploma. So have sabr when it comes to du'a. Have sabr. Go four years, see what happens, right? Have sabr. Learn how to wait. It's one of the beauties, so much so that the Prophet ﷺ said, intidharul faraji ibadah. For a person sitting, waiting on Allah to answer him, that's worship. That's amazing. So I sometimes, you visualize yourself waiting at the door of Allah, just waiting. Wait, wait, wait. I'm not going nowhere. I'm waiting. You have to have that attitude. All right, how's Instagram coming? I play football. I get bruises all the time. I don't think this works. No, I think football, I don't think football is the same. You're not hitting somebody. Uh, Some of the hits are sinful. There's no doubt about that. You know, some of these hits are sinful. You see the guy's head jerking like this. That's that whiplash is what causes CTE. And you don't need CTE to tell you that that doesn't feel right to do that to another human being. Right? Those open field hits are pretty vicious. A, a regular tackle is not a problem. This statement limits... Okay, we got the caps locks, folks. We're on all caps from Biqadri. This statement limits what we can play. Okay? Hijama causes bruising. No, hijama is medication, right? Long track biking and running causes bruises and lacks. No, that's not. We're talking, not talking about getting bruised. We're talking about hitting someone with the intent of hurting them. That's a big difference. Soccer, you, two people can run into each other all the time. It happens, right? Bruising other people. Huh? Bruising other people. Yeah, you're not intending. In soccer, you hit them without the intent. You hurt somebody, right? No intent. We're talking about bruising another person with the intent of hitting them. Okay? That's the thing. If you're intending to tackle somebody, that's how tackling is fine. Right? But some of those hits, I would have to say, like, if I, if I were to hit somebody that way and I see them being carried off and woozy like that, I'm going to make some istighfar. Right? Because I feel like I did something that was really dangerous to another human being. So that's what it is. Okay? That's what it is, Qadri. All right. You can ask a question. There's nothing wrong with that. The, que- the, the answer again is the intent to injure another person. That's the question. Is it true, says Abdullah ibn al-Mubarak, that the enemies in, during Islamic battles were not intentionally attacked to the face? The Prophet ﷺ commanded us not to hit the face okay, when you fight because of the nobility of, of, of the face, of the human being. Shaykh, I read Surah Al-Baqarah every day. MashaAllah, that's amazing. And it now only takes me 30 minutes. That is amazing. But I haven't seen any changes in my life. I'm still committing the same sins. Okay? But shaitan should not be in my house. Yes, shaitan may not be in your house, but your nafs, your ego, may be habituated already. You see, shaitan sets up a recurring payment. How? He gets you addicted. Once he gets you addicted, he doesn't have to work on you anymore. Right? Once he gets you addicted, don't you see that uh, for all drugs, they invite you to the party and they give you the drugs for free. For the first time, the second time, the third time. Once you're an addict, they treat you like garbage. You don't sit on the same couch as the gang leader anymore because he knows he's got you. You're an addict. You're going you're gonna to pay now and you're going to get no special treatment. All right? 
Shaitan works the same way. He lures you with some beautiful thing just to get you to commit a sin that is addictive in nature. Once you're addicted, he doesn't he don't have to bother with you anymore. You're, you're just a recurring pain. You're an addict now. So he does not bother with you. So shaitan is not your issue. Your nafs is your issue. And your nafs, anything that is of the nafs and addiction of the nafs is known as the severely difficult disease to change. And altering your nafs, you should put, subhanAllah, like years and years at this. This is a big test. In our communities, as Muslims, we have a mass problem with pornography addiction. Nobody wants to say it because it's a disgusting habit, right? But it's asked and brought up so much that you know it's, it's an epidemic. I mean, we know in the world these days it's an epidemic. It takes nothing other than not, never leaving off hope and never quitting. And you can get through all these addictions. Heroin is worse, probably. But people get over it. Alcohol is worse, but people get over it. So you have to keep fighting your nafs until one day you have fought it more. And the key is hope in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What Iblis really wants to do with addictions is make you hopeless. So you may go 10 and 15 years, right? Don't be surprised if it takes 10 or 15 years to change your nafs. Sometimes you just have to grow up a little bit, but you have to prove yourself to Allah as well. Okay, so that's the answer to your question. Qadri says, forgive my ignorance about the bruising issue. Okay, no problem. No problem. No offense taken. Clay Tiger, oh, so this was not a question about a clay tiger. This was a person. Clay Tiger, what are your thoughts on Sheikh Nazim al-Haqqani and his tariqah? Well, Sheikh Nazim has passed on. May Allah uh, enter him genital firdaus. And his tariqah, I have no knowledge about it, to be honest with you. I know there's a branch up in North Jersey, but I don't really know much about it. I would love a dua for finding halal employment. Rabbi inni lima anzalta ilayya min khayrin faqir. That's the answer. Rabbi inni lima anzalta ilayya min khayrin faqir. Okay. Okay, now let me answer some other questions. This is a big question. This question says the following. How do we know, as Muslims, if something is meant for us? Whether that be a job, a person for marriage, an opportunity, a house, a car, whatever. Is there a difference in how Muslims would feel something is is for them as opposed to non-believers. I do typically get very vivid intuition of things, but I have also have a hard time trusting myself. Um, there's a perspective shift that I would like to suggest here. The perspective shift is this. Oftentimes, we don't want to take responsibility. So we sort of want Allah to decide for us, right? There, in a way... If the root of that is almost like a fear of taking responsibility and learning how to make decisions, then that is in a sense blameworthy and it's almost like a replacement of superstition. If there's like the fear of like, I don't know how to make a decision, let me just look for a sign. That's not how it works. 
Rather, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and His Messenger have taught us learn how to make a decision then trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So what are the filters of making a decision? Well, the first filter is the law, the sharia. If something is halal for us, okay, then that is the first uh, that is the first one, and we should believe it's halal for a reason, right? It is halal for, like someone was telling me about, like, let's say they're, 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 the brother who had the nose situation, okay? Remember the rule. You are allowed to return to your body what was lost. His nose was co- broken many places. He, he had a curved nose to begin with. The doctors told him, when we fix your nose, it's gonna, we are going to fix it straight. We're going to make it, we can't fix it, make your nose curved, right? When we fix your nose, there's only one way we can fix it, straight. So people will think that you had a, a rhinoplasty, and you did, right? So he's very nervous about this. He feels like guilty, because he's going to come out of this surgery looking better than he came in. But the Sharia allows this. It allows a return to you to return to your body what you lost, and if there's no other way except that it becomes better, then it's allowed. The Prophet ﷺ had a sahabi, he lost his nose, he gave him a silver nose. The silver nose rotted, he gave him a gold nose. Right? Walking around with gold in your body as opposed to bone. So it's an improvement. Because there's no other way to return to him what he lost except improvement. So he feels guilty. I'm telling him, subjugate your feelings to the Sharia. Subjugate your feelings. Right? If Allah's law makes something halal, don't complicate things. It's halal for you. So that's the first tranche that we look at the first filter what does the sacred law say and respect what the sacred law says secondly istishara you ask people right if it's there are many halal things that we have to make decisions between one or two halal things do istishara right ask people who are in that field at least three people okay who are in that field should I do this should I not is it halal for me is it not or, or well, halal we already know. What's the best way of going about it, etc. If I'm going to choose a surgeon, for example, the surgery is halal, but which surgeon to do and at what time, it's up for discussion. So I can discuss with people. Thirdly is istikhara. Istikhara. You pray two rakas and you do dua al-istikhara. If what you, your, your trajectory is good, Allah makes it easy. If your trajectory is wrong, Allah makes it difficult. Making Allah makes it difficult. He closes the door. That means one of your choices is wrong. That means mean it's haram. So if I did istishara, istikhara, and I, my surgeon, I just can't get on the make an appointment. I can't seem to make it happen. That doesn't mean I don't do the surgery. That just means the timing is not right. Maybe the surgeon is not right. Okay. Maybe a different avenue of doing this halal thing. That I, fourthly, the Prophet said, Ihris We should not be so pious and, and incorrectly pious to imagine that anything that benefits us in our life, we should be nervous about it. No. Allah says the Prophet said, Grasp onto what benefits you. Seek benefit. The Prophet said, Love Allah for the here we go again with the stupid uh, camera. You could take this one if you need it. Give us a second.
60 second timeout while we fix the camera real quick. Ridiculous camera, to be honest with you. Never seen a camera that just shuts off for no reason like this. Turn the AC on, maybe the camera wants AC. All right, so the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is telling us, Ihris Fauk. And the Prophet is also selling, telling us, and the Quran is telling us, min Seek the bounty of Allah Ta'ala. Why are you you're nervous about benefiting because you think that that's piety? It's not piety to always make your life difficult. It's not nafs or ego to make your life hard or to resist general things that will benefit a person right it's almost like people trained by some religious um, false teaching that uh, you know if you're happy and you have a lot of blessings you should feel guilty no we don't have that so these are five five filters number one the Allah's law about things the ruling number two istishara number three istikhara Number four, hold tightly what benefits you. Number five, seek the virtues of what is fadl. It's extra things that you do not need. You don't need it to be happy. You don't need it in life. It just makes you happy. That's all it does. You don't need it in life. That's what fadlillah means. You literally don't need it in life. Okay? But it makes you happy. The Prophet ﷺ said, love Allah for the fadl that he gave you. So we are taught to make decisions, and then what did the Prophet said? If you have went through these filters and you've made a decision, do it and rely upon Allah. Okay? Use your willpower and your reliance upon Allah at the same time. Use your mind and help and people's help and istikhara to make decisions for you, to, or to, to, to help you make a decision. If you make if you come to a conclusion, rely upon Allah. Rely, what does that mean? That means don't keep looking over your shoulder. Don't second guess yourself. Okay? Go and rely upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And do not fall into this fear of decision making, paralysis, that ends people up looking for a sign. Right? The Islamic version of superstition, to be quite honest with you. Right? And people, they go really far off into left field with this stuff. And they try to find some Islamic way to connect it. Well, I open the Quran, I put my finger, and that's what I'm going to do. If it's an, a verse of mercy, I do it. If it's a verse of punishment, I don't do it. Another one said, I do a best out of three. And they attributed this Sayyidina Ali, which is a lie. There's no narration like that. That Sayyidina Ali said, do a best out of three. It's like a seven-game series. It's the playoffs. So, open the Mus'haf randomly, put your finger. If it's a verse of mercy, then it's one nothing. Do it again. If it's a verse of punishment, it's 1-1. One, one. All right, game three, everyone, let's watch. This is how I'm going to make my decisions in life? No. Where's the intellect? Where's the willpower? Where's the reliance upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? These are just superstitions. If these people were not Muslims, they would be astrologers, zodiac signs, crystals. Okay? They'd be doing all that stuff if they weren't Muslim. Now that they're Muslim, they're Islamizing it. But here we have guidance. We make decisions. We use our intellect. We take istishara from people. We ask experts. We pray istikhara, ask Allah to make it easier, make it difficult. Okay? And then, you cannot rely upon Allah if it's something that you didn't choose. Right? You rely upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala if it's your decision. 
and you made a choice. Okay. Another thing that people do is they look for a dream. No. No. The dream may be good news for somebody who knows how to make a decision, and Allah is confirming his decision. But we don't make a decision solely based on a vision. And many of the people who are in that field anyway don't know the difference between a true dream and a fake dream. It could be just your, your self is talking to you. The true dream is symbolic. You won't even understand it. Okay? And it won't be the source of your decision. Okay? It'll just be a stamp of confirmation. Okay? So that's the idea of how visions and ru'yas. Now, is gut feeling, intuition, this questioner said, part of our decision making? 100% it is. Especially how the Prophet ﷺ told us in a moral matter, a moral matter, where if you would be afraid of people to know about this action, then chances are it's more haram than halal. Because some things are gray areas, right? There are gray areas. How do I know? Is this halal or haram? I really don't know. And the sharia doesn't specifically mention this is a new issue, right? So that's where you ask yourself. And by the way, your conclusion is not the ruling, but it's what's best for you. Okay? So if it is a gray area, and I would like, no, I wouldn't want anyone to know I did this, okay? then avoid it. You'd be embarrassed by that. If you would, for example, uh, have a situation where it rubs against your heart the wrong way, right? then don't do it. And that may be the case even if it's halal. I'll tell you, for example, we have tenants in this house. We have a studio up here. We have uh, Dar al and our soup kitchen on the first floor. And the floors in between, we have tenants. You know how much we could do if we remove the tenants? We'll open up the second year of the program, right? I don't know, my gut won't let me do it. How can we claim that we're coming to help the, most, uh, to help the people of the area? Uh, first thing we do, we, we kick them out of the house, Right? Well, we could do it in a nice way. We could say, listen, we don't want to remove you, but if you have another opportunity to move to a bigger place, right, you can do so. And we'll even help you, you know, we'll give you a parting gift. But I won't kick him out. So that's sometimes even the halal, the Prophet ﷺ said, istafti qalbak. Check your gut feelings. Also, gut feeling comes in when you deal with people. Sometimes you deal with someone and you're like, this guy's a charlatan. He's a liar. Your gut tells you that. Don't disavow uh, that feeling. All right? The gut feeling of a Muslim, especially if your heart is clean, the gut feeling of a believer is a source of helping you, guide you to a decision, but it's not the only source. But it's the, the gut feeling of the purified soul. The soul who, he at every moral corner tries to be clean and pure and help them the vulnerable that's the one whose gut feeling we accept all right next question right what do we got anything yeah, we got one <clears throat> okay read it off for okay. me there's this thing about 40 days for guarding all seven of the paths to the heart and the openings come and thus this will someone reaching higher spiritual stations can one's eyes that have witnessed evil things ever be afforded the right to witness Allah and does, or does it need to be purified beforehand if, you, if we're committing sins 
and we're seeking spiritual visions, which is part of our religion, the spiritual vision is like a goal, okay? And we can have that goal, and we should have that goal, because you need something to entice you sometimes, right? But you just have to have sabr. And the answer is yes. People did worse than look at haram. People worshipped idols, and they became the greatest of sahaba. So worshipping idols is worse than looking at haram. Being a Sahabi is greater than the rank that we can ever attain in this life. Okay? Or at all. So the answer is yes, but have sabr. You need patience to do this. This is not an easy thing. If someone has an STD, like genital warts, when, they, when do they have to tell the potential suitor about it? And do you have to get it cured? You only have to tell a potential suitor about things that will harm, will harm them. Okay? You do have to tell them. If it will not harm them, you don't have to tell them. For example, how did you get your STD? Oh, I don't have to tell you that. I don't have to go tell you all my sins. No. But the fact that I could transmit an STD to you, they deserve to know that. When do you tell them? Before they get emotionally attached. Because that's a harm. You've done harm if you get them emotionally attached to you and then you lay down the bomb on them. Does that seem right to you? No. That's like a type of trickery. Right? Donut 319 is here. Salam is here. Bilal Arif. Big Papa is here on Instagram. Let's see what we got on YouTube. Sophia says, if I get pen ink on my hands and wash it off, but it leaves a visible mark, that is sufficient. That's fine. Because we don't go by stains or smells for Tahara and Najasa. We don't go by stains or smells. For example, uh, let's say a baby can get defecation on a onesie. And you clean off that onesie real quick with soap and water. Or water is enough, by the way. Water is enough for the Sharia. But you're going to put some soap after the water. There's still a stain there, and there may be a smell, but it's tahir. It's pure. By the standard of the sharia, you can pray with it. Right? If it's your own garment, let's say the baby got urine on your own garment, you're going to wash that off with water. That's enough. As long as the water comes off clean, that's this that's the criterion. If the water falls off clean, that's enough. And you don't have to wash the entire garment, just that area. Paint is different if it covers the skin to the point that the water cannot get under the skin. We went over this in class because mm-hmm. right it's like a big problem because they're asking Sheikh Harun because paint can stay off like yep. you, you can't make wudu then if, if it can't reach the skin. But he said before he asked the Sheikh we have to exhaust all of the possibility of not being able to get it off and he found this um, orange soap from Walmart that does get it off. If you're in the paint business you know how to get paint off your hands. Paint you're, 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 what's up? Yeah. Gasoline-based yeah. stuff, too. I remember uh, uh, when I was young, in the 80s, p- painters washing their hands with gas, right? They go get the lawn, gas from the lawnmower back when, uh, in the garage. They used to use gas and get it off. If you're in the paint business, it's your obligation by Sharia to learn how to get paint off, right? Wear gloves. And by the way, I was at SOAS, and I saw painters painting, and, and there, all the Eastern Europeans do these jobs. 
like here are people paint right the expert painters are in our area are like dominicans like they're really good there it's the eastern europeans i've i saw them paint an entire floor of soas and i didn't see them on their clothes a single drop right not a single drop like they were so good at painting like the floor they had the mats of course clean as anything right is makeup haram outside of the house and the answer is yes makeup that adds to you right that adds to your face there was a discussion if someone has like a wart or a blemish or like a something if they covered up with the color of skin Allahu Adam about that, but it, that would not be considered makeup. That would just be cover, covering a wart or something like that. But to add, remember what we said the principle, you're allowed to return what was lost of your creation. Okay, But to add to that and different colors, etc., then that would be considered zina that is not allowed outside the house. Another question, what kind I do to what could I do to see the Prophet You have to be very devoted to much salah upon him and have a desire for you. Okay. Um, you have to have a desire for the Messenger, peace be upon him, and, and imagine it. And then one of the scholars of Shem, he said it begins by imagining your meeting with him, and then it becomes a reality spiritually. Uh, Zayn Akhi says, What does thinking about revenge due to your iman and it is i never heard that thinking about avenging or in other words getting justice getting justice is halal for you it may make your heart uncomfortable because you're um, you know your heart's full always angry but i don't desiring justice it does not do anything to your disc but it may be something that occupies your heart a bit too much then that becomes something that you can get past that by realizing the whole situation is from Allah and the justice will come in Allah's time. You should trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for that. Najwa Zafar, someone's very unhappy with their marriage. He says, I don't feel like hurting the wife and just continue thinking it's their fate. In the process, this person is depressed. Is divorce allowed? I don't want to encourage divorce, but it's allowed. You, you entered this at will. If you're not happy, bring it up. Use your willpower. Just this the way you came into this. Say, hey, I'm not happy. Can we fix this? Can we do something about this? Right? First, at least you should be afforded that chance. But you have a will. Marriage and divorce, has we have become Christian in our marriage and divorce. Because the Catholics only marry once in a lifetime and they're locked into it. We have imitated them in that. Where And it's not promoting divorce. Or easy marriage, easy come, easy go. But I'm saying the way that the Muslims viewed marriage was not so rigid and so major. Okay, People were married, they married, they got unhappy, they divorced. Right? Nowadays, we don't encourage that because we see the bad signs, uh, the bad effects of that on people and their kids. But nonetheless, Allah has made it halal for a reason. There's no reason for a person to be trapped in their life. Uh, Qamarun says, is one responsible for their thoughts? The answer is that we are not responsible for our thoughts, but we are responsible for what we purposely dwell upon. Thoughts are like passers-by in the road. Are you responsible for who passes by you in the street and you notice them? No, not at all. A thought is no different than that. 
Okay. Ayusa Daniel Muhammad, thank you very much. Okay. Ruling on video games that contained violence. I've seen two different opinions on that. I've seen an opinion that it's discouraged, an opinion that it's halal. Is there any dua to ask Allah to hasten the acceptance of a dua? It's not necessarily a dua, but a time of dua. And that time is the last third of the night, what we call the tahajjud. Fuad Zafar, or Zahir, go to Umrah and spend a couple hours looking at the Kaaba and ask Allah. And if, if you really can go to the Haramain al-Sharifain, go to Mecca in the last third of the night before Friday. So tomorrow, Fajr is Friday. That last third of the night, if you do Tawaf, even Umrah, the dua there, it just really, really goes straight through the heavens. SubhanAllah. Tahir Ramadan. Is it a good habit to pray qada prayers at tahajjud time? Why not? Everything is better at tahajjud time. And, and the fara'id is the qada. By the way, if you have qada, you don't do nawafil. You just do the qada because that's the most important salah. And nothing is valid of nafila if you have qada. Ismail says, does applying products that contain some alcohol break my wudu? There is difference of opinion on this. It does never breaks your wudu. It's just whether it's najis or not. And the Mauritanian scholars say, if it evaporates, like cologne, if it evaporates, you're good to go. Tabakhar, right? But others said, no, you have to rub it off with water. All right? And therefore, they don't use those modern perfumes in the first place. Do you need ijazah in salawat? No, you don't need ijazah in salawat. Ijazah is really a marker in a time of chaos for those who don't know. Imam Siyuti has a quote. This is very important. Let me read you this important right. You should pay attention to this. It's very important for you and uh, for the others uh, uh, that, that are starting to teach. And I save this. All right, it's a very important picture, uh, a quote that I'm going to read you from. That ijazah, we have to remember, is for clarification when people don't know who's who. Then we ask about ijazah. But Imam Siyuti says in his Al-Itqan, okay, فَائِدَةُ الْإِجَازَةِ مِنَ الشَّيْخِ غَيْرَ شَرْطِ فِي جَوَازَ التَّصَدِّي لِلْقِرَاءَةِ وَالْإِفَادَةِ Okay? To have an ijazah is not a prerequisite to give benefit or to recite the Qur'an. فَمَنْ عَلِمَ مِنْ نَفْسِهِ الْأَهْلِيَّةِ جَازَ لَهُ ذَلِكِ If you know that you understand a question, an issue, you're allowed to speak on it. Okay? Even if no one officially gave him any jazah. The early Muslims were like this in every field of knowledge. Okay, but in transmitting to the Quran, the iqra, or giving fatwa, there's a difference of opinion. By the way, massive qari. I met him in Connecticut, massive. In Qiraat, Ijaza, Hifd of Quran, he has disciples in this. So I asked him, who, do you give out Ijaza? He got so upset. He said, we don't do this. We recite the Quran sincerely. We learn. You either know or you don't know. We don't have Ijazas. He didn't have an Ijaza. I could tell you who I studied with, but I have no document. In Syria, to guard from chaos... It's, a, it's not only is an ijazah, it's a government-stamped ijazah. 
again, so we understand the purpose of ijazah is to avoid in times of chaos and to restrict when too many people are talking. But we have to understand its place in the sharia. And here we have Imam Asiyuti said, if you can give a benefit, give a benefit. Okay? All right? So he says here that, لِمَا يَتَوَهَّمُهُ الْأَغْبِيَاءِ Okay? For what the fools are deluded by. The fools think that it's a condition to speak. Okay? No, it's not a condition to speak. أَهْلِيَةَ الشَّخْصِ لَا يَعْلَمُهَا غَالِبًا مَنْ يُرِيدُ الْأَخْذَ مِنَ الْمُبْتَدِئِينَ وَغَيْرِهِمْ لِقُصُورِ مَقَامِهِمْ عَنْ ذَلِكَ It's for the beginners. They don't know how to judge anybody. Right? They don't know who knows and who doesn't know. What is the ijtihad of the beginner? Is to, to, to think and to use his brain to see who do I study from? Right? Who do I take from? For that reason, the ijazah had a benefit. But now we have people tr- almost fooling people with ijazah. or have ijazah. Okay? Uh, you could f- so if, I, if there are liars, then they would fool the common people too. Yes? What about for the purpose of keeping the chain to the Prophet or keeping the chain to the Imam? That's good out of, as, as a, we should, we should preserve that. We should preserve that. There's a barakah in knowing those names too. But he is telling us here not necessarily a shart in transmitting knowledge. And that's how I came up with uh, the ulama of uh, the, the Maghrib and Mauritania. I didn't really see so much concern about Ijazah or Egypt, right? They concerned, their concern was, do you understand properly? Are you speaking properly? That's what they cared about. Okay. He says, now, you as a student, you must, the, the real condition is seeing who actually knows their stuff. That is, a, we, we read that, uh, the ijtihad of the ammi is to see who knows, who's most worthy to follow. So that we know. Okay? So an ijazah has became a symbol or a tool to help that. But a sheikh saying, I give him ijazah, which means if you're wondering if he knows stuff, Yes, he knows stuff. He can benefit you. فَجُعِلَتِ الْإِجَازَةِ كَالشَّهَادَةِ مِنَ الشَّيْخِ لِلْمُجَازِ بِالْأَهْلِيَةِ Like a degree. If I'm a mosque, and I'm just a doctor, I'm a podiatrist, and I founded a mosque, and I need to hire an imam, I don't know what's up and what's down. So if you come up with me in a kufi and a thawb, all right, your khutbah's good. Do you have a degree? Do you have a, go for a, a college or something? How do I know that you know your stuff? I'm telling you, a lot of people could just watch a couple of videos, put a kufi and, and a thobe, grow a little scruffy beard, and trick people. Right? So it happens. So they need, to, they need a symbol. And today we call that a degree. People care more about the, 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 uh, the layman. The complete outsider from the field of Islamic knowledge cares more about the degree than the ijazah. Because that's what they know. That's what the society tells them. To the, to the degree in which we are simply using it as a marker of trust for worthiness of knowledge and speaking, that's its function. That's a function of whether we call it a degree or an ijazah. To me, what would a degree from an Islamic seminary look like? It would not just be one piece of paper. Let's say for Dara Fats, what would our degree look like? For every ilm, it should have the signature of the sheikh who taught him. 
and tested him. There's no such thing as just one big degree, right? No, it has. Or that the degree itself, we can, we can give him one certificate, but it has in it the meaning of this degree is that in Aqidah, Sheikh so-and-so signed off. In Fiqh, Sheikh so-and-so signed off. In Tajweed, Sheikh so-and-so signed off. That's the meaning of our degree, right? And in so far as the degree, it almost becomes like a dollar symbolizes a gold coin or something like that. Right? Like a hundred dollar bill symbolizes a little piece of gold. So that's the same idea there. Uh, the concept of a degree. We have to understand the purpose of these things. Not just become like uh, worshipping a word. Or a document. Okay. Alright, so that's Imam Suyuti. Talking and, uh, and I took that from uh, May Allah bless him. Uh, Abdul Aziz Suraka. He, he's the one who shared that recently. So I, I read that from there. All right, who else we have here? Tariq al-Masidi, using your, uh, your wife's account? He's coming incognito, or is that... How are we doing on time? It's now 3.15, we could take a couple more questions. If Allah was to humiliate you, what does he do? He makes you fall in love with a sinful act and ignore everyone who gives you advice otherwise. That is, if you, and we should ask Allah Afi and Salama from that. That's the meaning of how does a person get humiliated? He falls in love with what is sinful and he doesn't listen to any advice. That's the problem. Until he gets humiliated. He publicly... Imam Madik says, if your private life is more pious and more worshipful than your public life, then you're on the right track. But if you have sins in your private life, how do you know that? He, he didn't say this, but others have said, if you have sins in your private life, do you not imagine that it would slip out in your public life? Right? It would slip out. We ask Allah Ta'ala protection from all that. Chief Latif says, I know this always gets asked, but my friend is asking. Do you have to remove your socks in the Madiki Madhab to make wudu? Yes. Okay says, what if one didn't know they had the STD until the suitor got emotionally attached? Okay, remember the, what is the, uh, the point here? Uh, trickery, deception. If you're not guilty of deception, then you're good to go. The issue is deception. That's what we have to understand. Okay. Some things are ma'lul and some things are not. What does ma'lul mean? Ma'lul is we know exactly why the ruling is there. Right? And some things, and so if, if the illa is not there, the ruling isn't there. Illa is the reason. Other things are not ma'lul, but they have a hikmah. Okay? They're not ma'lul. But they have a hikmah. The hikmah is just the, one of the wisdoms the, that we speculate is the reason behind this. Okay? For example, what it, it does idda. Idda is the waiting period between marriages for a woman. It doesn't have illa. It has a hikmah. So it's always binding. Right? It's always binding. Even if we say that the waiting period is supposed to prove that her womb is empty from the guy's baby, 
we say that's a wisdom. Okay, think we may so it's not a it's not a illa. If the guy was completely, um, for example, his tubes were tied, she still has to have idda, right? If the guy, for example, um, met her, uh, consummated the marriage, then a year later, let's say he went to jail in front of all of us. We see him; he's in jail, right? Then after jail, that he dies in jail. She still has to have idda. Okay? She still has idda. Even though we know that they didn't have any relations. So that's a wisdom and not a legal cause. Right? The legal purpose behind the thing. Alcohol, it's a illa, not a hik. And illa is a higher, it includes hikmah. Illa always includes hikmah. So that we know that illa for uh, drugs and alcohol is losing your intellect. If you don't lose your intellect, okay, then it's not sinful. So if smoking a leaf makes you high, but eating it does not, eat all, eat away, right? <laughs> That's the ruling for plants. The same plant in one form intoxicates you, makes you high. In another form does not eat it as much as you want, right? Poppy seed. It's the same thing. Right, grapes is not wine, just grapes, right? So if it's fresh, eat it. Doesn't intoxicate you. All right, makes sense. All right, let's say Madiki clicks give some very good advice. Do not get emotionally attached to somebody. If you don't know, you're compatible. This happens all the time. I would tell you once a year minimum before coronavirus. I get this. I, brother, I have to talk to you. It's an emergency. Oh, it's you? I've never, I haven't seen you. I, you come in Eid only. Now you have to talk to me as an emergency? It's about marriage. 100% it's about marriage. He comes in. What's the issue? I'm in love. Okay. Romeo, what's going on? Um... I want to marry a sister. She wants to marry me, but her dad won't allow it. Okay? And my mom won't allow it. Well, why did you guys get involved when you know this piece of practicality is necessary, right? You know it's necessary. Why would you get involved? Do you have no brain, right? No offense to you. You got yourself emotionally attached knowing her mom's not going to allow it, her dad's not going to allow it, your parents not going to allow it. I'm telling you, in England, there was a sister. Daisy family. Regular Daisy family, right? The girl went nuts. Why? Her father will not allow her marriage suitor. Who's the marriage suitor? Ebu so-and-so from jail. <laughs> no, not a joke. The guy's in general population, so he could use the internet to a degree. General population is like the low level of jail. He's in jail. Okay? And they fell in love in a Dawa uh, chat room or whatever. Back in the days of chat rooms, right? She fell in love. She wants to marry a guy who's in jail. Of course, the dad said, over, over my dead body and you need your head checked. Marry a guy from jail, right? And she's going around, sheikh to sheikh to sheikh to complain. My dad is unreasonable. No, he's very reasonable. You're the one who needs your head checked. 
no offense to you, right? But uh, why would you get yourself emotionally attached when you know the pragmatics of this is not going to work? All right, so let's go to Mansur. How do we know Allah is okay with our actions? That's why we study the Sharia. Okay, study the Sharia and respect it. If something is halal, you will not be sinful for it. You may be sinful for the way in which you go about it and for the consequences of it. So you may have to do istikhara for that and istishara. Istikhara is you ask Allah for guidance with a certain dua. Istishara is you ask the experts. And you have to use your own brain as well. Because something may be halal, but you get sins for the consequences of it. Is halal to go to Umrah? Yeah. All right, let me go book a trip to Umrah. Hold on a second. I got khutbah, I got classes, I got work. So then the message says, what are you doing? Going to Umrah when we're in the middle of semester. All right, you're fired. I say, hey, you fired me because I did something halal? No, the way in which you did it is what got you fired. Is a woman sinful if she steps out without a wali? If she steps into a place that is not ma'ahud bil ma'roof. In other words, if she go if she goes to a place where the man, I don't know if I can protect you there, this is not the norm. So what is the norm? Supermarket. The dry cleaner. The school. Target. These are the bil ma'roof. The things that everyone does all the time, then no, she doesn't have to ask about that. But if it's something beyond that norm, that would require, for example, that her protector, the husband is the protector of the wife. How can he protect her if she, he's go, she's going to a place where he doesn't even know about or can't protect her there? So she takes a trip to Las Vegas. She takes a trip to Florida. She just drives two hours just to get away from everyone. Well, what, happened, what if something happened? I'm on the hook for that, right? She has to tell him. Okay. Strangers, please make dua that I get married soon. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala... Uh, uh, open the doors of marriage for you and grant you we just have sabr though uh, and repeat always Rabbi inni lima anzalta ilayya min khayrin faqir so one of the most popular video on Safina Saadi YouTube channel is dua to get married so study that and repeat it all day and all night what dua should we memorize the daily ones such as entering the home Exiting the bathroom, entering the bathroom, or should we memorize the dua of repentance, things like that? Uh, whatever Allah opens for you. Okay. And there's no specific order for these things. If a woman goes to Hajj and Umrah without a mahram, yes, she may go to Hajj, not Umrah. Umrah, if she goes with a group. That's Mufti Niaz told me that from the Hanafi method. Hajj, she's allowed to go by herself the first Hajj. Because that's a fart. That's the Maliki method. Noha says, Can one be protected from evil eye by reading the Mu'awwidat, of course, and the Wird, Wird al Sabah wal Masa from Hasid. People say evil eye is Madhkur fil Quran, Hasid, and that if someone deems you evil, it will happen despite you reciting it. No, it, evil eye is Hasid is envy that comes out of the eye of people. But you can put a wall up, and that wall is dhikrillah, the awrad. Okay? Awrad of the morning and evening. The athkar. So go to safinasociety.org backslash wird. Safinasociety.org backslash wird. 
One more question before we wrap up. We had a lot of questions today. What's the reply to someone who says such group has exaggeration in love of the Prophet This is from Sophia. Uh, the only exaggeration of the love of the Prophet is to worship him as a god. Anything short of that is not exaggerating or nor even fulfills his due. What's the proof of that? If you were to take your love and stretch it, would it, stre- would it have an end? Of course. Anyone's love for the Prophet, if you were to take it and stretch it, it would have an end, right? It would be finite. Yet what the Prophet has been chosen to do for us by Allah as a sebab is to grant us infinity. Right? Paradise forever. Everlasting paradise. Everlasting freedom from the hellfire. Which we are shown every once in a while so we never forget the blessing of being saved from hell. We are shown constantly what the hellfire looks like and what the people are suffering Every once in a while, in paradise, we're shown that, to remember the blessing. Allah chose the Prophet for that, to save you from that. So you can't, in this life, your love for him is limited. It's finite. But what he did for us, by Allah's permission, is infinite, or everlasting, we should say. So how could the finite ever outweigh the everlasting? So as long as we are not doing Worshipping the Prophet as a God. Okay? And the Prophet already said we're immune from that. So no one has to worry about that. Did not the Prophet say, I'm not worried about any shirk for you. No, stay. Alright? I'm not worried about any shirk. So therefore, we're immune from that. There will be no worship of the Prophet in this ummah. I'm not worried about shirk from you. What's that? Think of the Prophet during prayer? Yeah. Well, we do that all the time. Don't we? At tahiyat, the tahiyya. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, what would ever be wrong about, uh, uh, about that? Even if you were to, for example, think to yourself, uh, I'm going to pray well, as if, imagine, like if I was praying in front of the Prophet was watching me. What's the proof of that? Well, don't we have a Sahabi? Ryan, who was the Sahabi? Who heard the Prophet enter Salah behind him and he said, I will beautify my Salah for the Prophet. Right? That you want your Prophet to be proud of you. Right? That you worshipped Allah well. If you were, not, not many people think like that, but if they were, that's 100% valid. What's wrong with that? You guys say in the, the books, Malik, you think like, about speech in the prayer, if you were to say, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, during the prayer because you heard someone mention the prophet. Outside the prayer. Even if you said, you heard someone mention Outside the, the prayer, yeah. And you said, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Because that's a, that's a dhikr. In the salah, you are making salam to the messenger, peace be upon him. Salamu alayka. Right? And there are some people from, they call themselves Salafis, they're far from the Salaf, who altered the tahiyyah. They say, no, after the death of the prophet, we say, assalamu ala nabi. Okay? It's not like that. Salamu alayka, ayyuhan nabi. That's what Sayyidina Omar taught the people. That's what Sayyidina Aisha taught the Tabi'een. Alright, so. Qamar says, Is the first step of seeking knowledge always necessarily memorizing the Quran? No, it's studying Aqidah. After your Fardain, you, you delve into Aqidah. Because that's where you can ruin your heaven and hell. Is lowering the gaze necessary or only the lustful gaze? 
looking at the opposite gender is only in a necessity, and the prohibition is the lustful gaze. Is it haram to be a wali for my sister's nikah if I'm marrying her to a man who doesn't pray? She does not pray either. Well, I'm assuming here that the order of wilaya is being observed. The father first. okay, Or the son first, actually. Then the father. So there's an order of wilaya. I'm assuming that that is uh, being observed. Then to marry someone to a fasiq, that is sinful, yes. The marriage is valid, but you are sinful. Where are you going? Help Jannah, okay. All right, folks, let's wrap up here. Very good Q&A today. Uh, remember, 7 o'clock, uh, 7, uh, I would say 7.30 is Maghrib. Probably will log on 7.40. Grand opening. That will be streamed to this YouTube, Safina Society channel. We will stream the entire event, bi'idhnillahi ta'ala. So make sure you are part of that. Make sure you watch. Make sure... Uh, you keep tabs with what we do on-site. It is an on-site college, but uh, and we're starting... So an on-site college will be full-time four years, right? Well, you can't start full-time four years. We're going to start part-time one year, then add another year, add another year, add another year, until eventually it's we jump to full-time multiple years. Okay, That's how it's going to go. That's how you run stuff. And we ask Allah Ta'ala... Um, for acceptance, for blessing, and for consistency. This is a lifelong mission, and it's going to be a it's a big it's a big thing uh, that we're trying to do here. Also, this live stream itself it doesn't um, operate by itself. There's lights, there's cameras, there's air condition that you famously know about. Uh, there are all sorts of things going on. There are people at the at the control desk. And that also uh, is by the community. This is for the community, by the community. And so you can be part of this by supporting us at patreon.com backslash Safina Society. Again, that is patreon.com backslash Safina Society. You become a supporter of this live stream. And may Allah bless you. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept your sadaqah uh, for us. And may Allah ta'ala uh, prolong this live stream and let us live and die upon a da'wah al-amma general da'wah to the ummah of Islam let us live and die upon the love of knowledge the love of the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam upon dua and ya mujib ya mujib ya mujib every one of us here may Allah ta'ala answer our dua and grant us what we are seeking of his bounty and his fadl we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make none more beloved to us than his most beloved Sayyid al-Kawnayn alayhi salatu wa salam nas'urullah biha حسن الخاتمة وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون وسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين